Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining me here on Take a Knee. I'm Pastor David, and this is our next installment in our podcast. And again, I just thank you for joining me. And I want to encourage you here at the beginning to do me a favor. And uh, if you're listening to this for the first time, to go ahead and subscribe and also to let other people know. I really appreciate that you take a moment. You can click on those three dots in the top there, especially on the um the podcasts on the Apple software and uh, share, share it with a friend, pass this around. Let's get the word out as we continue to grow. I've got so many great ideas of things I want to share and talk about in the future. And you can help me get the word out, encourage people, challenge people, allowing the word of God to just spread far and wide. A lot of hunger out there, a lot of people that are confused and are trying to comb through all that's going on in, in history and how we as Christians respond to this fast-paced culture, the disillusionment, the distraction, the sleight of hand. I want to talk about that today, in fact. I want to begin by sharing with you a scriptural story, one you can find in the Bible, and it talks about an, a really unique situation there in the book of Acts. You know, Paul is going through his experience. He's being challenged. He's going to fall off his donkey, so to speak, by the brightness of God's light, and he's going to be struck blind, and then he's going to have his own conversion experience, and on and on he will go. Now, Peter and the team and the guys that have been out traveling and doing what Jesus called them to do are experiencing some interesting things as they go outside of Jerusalem and and begin sharing the gospel. And I want to begin in Acts chapter 8 and verse 9. It says this, But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria. So he's a Samaritan, and this is that place that the Jews initially went to as far as level one of breaking outside of their comfort zone and just ministering to Jews. Now they're going to the Samaritans, who Jesus has already approached and ministered to. It was a person and people that Jesus shared a parable regarding, saying the good Samaritan who really showed up the Pharisaical Jews. And uh, so now they're ministering to them, and here they are in the area, and they find this guy named Simon. Let's keep reading. And it's so he amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God called great or the great power. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip, as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. So Philip the evangelist is the first one to come and to minister to them. Verse 13, Even Simon himself believed. After being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the hands of the apostles, He offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone in whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Now, go on and paraphrase. Peter is obviously upset because he's like, Wait, you know, this is not something you can buy. This is not anything that is like what you had experienced as far as his magical power. What we need to understand is that Simon is a believer. He has responded to Philip's evangelism.
evangelistic call. A lot of people get saved, come to Christ, get baptized into the name of Jesus Christ in water. So this is what Philip is doing. Remember, Philip baptized the Ethiopian the same way. He said, hey, there's some water. Let me baptize you. So this is Philip. He's going out and he's preaching the gospel and people getting saved. But they have yet to experience the baptism or the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And so Simon is watching this. Now, remember who Simon is. He used to be a a magician. And so he's used to having the power to be able to influence people in what they see using all of the magical arts. Now, it says that he used to do this, but he but the people still looked at him as having some great power, some you know, some great influence. So when he gets saved, he wants to continue walking in that. And it flows completely against the message of Jesus Christ, which and, and John and Mary and all the other disciples, where Jesus must increase and we decrease in our importance as far as the world is concerned. And so he is confronted with this, having experienced his notoriety in the past. Now he's trying to buy himself into apostleship, trying to buy his way into leadership. And of course, Peter calls it out and says, you have nothing to do with us. This is a wicked thing that you're you're asking to do. Now there's legend that Simon goes on to be the one who begins Gnosticism, that there is this heart of deception from the very beginning. Now, can't prove this. There's Again, it's only legend, but it would certainly make sense that he would be the one because of his heart not being right. Now, Peter does say, hey, repent. And, and Simon does repent. He says, pray for me that these evil things that you say are going to come upon me, you know, won't happen as you continue to read there in Acts 8. So it's a very interesting story. And that's where I want to begin today, because I want to talk about this world that we live in and how easily fooled we are. We've been given, you know, physical sight and we can see so many things. But did you know that our physical ability to see is actually limited? I got to tell you a quick story. It's kind of funny because you know, remember a few years ago, we had uh, a solar eclipse and the solar eclipse, you know, we we're all excited about it. It was going to sweep down and here in North Carolina, we were going to be able to see it. And so everybody's excited about, they were going out and buying the glasses. And then you could look, you could do things by taking, I forgot what it was, maybe a glass or a piece of glass or a mirror and reflecting it on a piece of paper. And so you could watch it happen. Many different cool things that you could do to watch the solar eclipse. So here I was at the office and I went outside while it was happening and I was looking at it in this reverse way that I was showed that I could do. I remember having looked at it that I walked inside and I still had this spot in my vision because it's so bright. And then I remember sitting there thinking, "Uh uh-oh, have I damaged my vision? And in fact, right after that, a lot of people were complaining and going to the eye doctor and people were saying, and and some people's vision was permanently damaged. That's pretty scary. In fact, so I began to think about this and think about this. And I, so I went to my eye doctor and I remember I was going to do this test where you look at your peripheral vision. And I was looking at all these little dots that they say flashed and did this and did that. And you have to click the button when you see the little flash. So after the test was over, the technician had walked out and left me in there. And I saw the results of the test. And I noticed that there was a spot that was, I mean, literally a spot in my vision of all the little clicks and X's. But in this one spot, there were no X's. And I thought to myself, oh my gosh. I blinded myself in that one little spot. And so I remember I started to sweat and started to panic a little bit. I was like, well, <laughs> you know, you didn't listen to the cautions. You, you you looked at it wrong and now you've damaged your eyesight. I went in to speak to my doctor. He was a good, close friend of mine. And I talked to him. I said, you know, uh, doctor, I, I noticed it on my test. I have this blind spot. And I was getting ready to explain to him how it happened. And he just said, oh, no, everybody has that. I said, what? He said, yeah, there's... 
There's a part of everyone's vision where there's a spot that you cannot completely see. It is, it's in your peripheral vision. I can't explain it. You need to look it up. But I thought to myself as I walked away from that, that meeting that day, my, my test, my appointment, I thought to myself, wow, isn't that amazing? In the natural, we have this blind spot. And you know, you may not know this, but uh, magicians take advantage of that. They know that so many things about our vision and how they can take advantage of these blind spots that we have in our peripheral vision and what happens in the areas that we're not looking at. And so you probably know this, that that's how magicians work. It's the sleight of hand. It is what is happening over in this hand. They're doing something over that you're not looking at. And they can play to that blind spot so that you don't see it. And it is just so amazing. And you can you can study this as far as how the brain works. You know, I've got a theory about that, too. And my theory is this, that our eyes in creation were created perfectly. Now, I can't pr- prove this again, just all theory. But based on what we know in, in Bible, that we can make a few assumptions. And one of them is that we were created perfectly. You've already heard me say that I think that, you know, Adam and Eve were geniuses. They just needed to fill this genius mind up with truth. I think the opposite of what they say is true. We think that prehistoric, quote unquote, man was dumb. You know, their brain was small and shrunken and, and they just were stupid and grunted. Absolutely. I do not agree with that. In fact, I think that archaeology and I think science and all of this proves otherwise that they were geniuses, that they had figured out math well before. I mean, how did they build the pyramids? I mean, that is exceptional math. What they did and how they did it and aligned it with the stars in Orion's belt just blows my mind because they were perfect. So let me get back to my theory. My theory is it also works for our eyes. And I think that we could see a lot more than what we can see now. In fact, I believe that we had spiritual vision, that I believe that Adam and Eve could see God before the fall, before the curse. Now, that's, again, just my theory. And it's interesting because you can actually see that when you study the eye, which is actually a part of the brain. You look at the eye and you think to yourself in the studying of the brain and the eye that it should be seeing more than what it's capable of seeing. There's something wrong. There's something that broke down between the eye and the brain and why we can't see more dimensions, why we can't see better than what we see. Eagles, hawks, other animals can see from incredible vision, not only in long distance, but incredible detail. I saw a, uh, an, a hawk the other day sitting at least 300 yards away and saw a mouse crawling on the ground that had jumped. I think it was a mole, actually. And that hawk came down and just couldn't believe it, that he had seen that from that perch way up in that oak tree from that far away, and he saw it. And so you think of God's creation, you think of the eye, and you think of its limitation. Then let's make the big jump. And think of the limitation of our spiritual sight. If our physical sight has blind spots, how much more does our spiritual sight have blind spots? Oh, and I believe they are. I mean, we do have these blind spots. And so there's a whole branch of our military that is dedicated to psychological operations because they know how to fool people and to misdirect them based on the physical things that we miss with our eyesight, but more importantly, with our, our how we're easily distracted. I mean, this whole blind spot thing is spirit, soul, and body. And and in order for our blind spot and our spirit to be able to see God, to taste and see that he is good, all of that had to be restored as a result of the work of Jesus Christ. And then, of course, we continue to grow in our ability to see in in what is is vision in the soul or in the spirit realm. Well, it is discernment is what the Bible calls it, the ability to see and to know. I'm not seeing it with my physical eyes, but I see it in the spirit. Again, I could take more time to describe this, but I think maybe you know what I'm talking about. Jesus was talking about, and and Solomon 
John was talking about is having an ability to know. So with the Holy Spirit indwelling Christians, we're given this gift. It's prophetic. It comes with being filled with the Holy Spirit when we're given these gifts, the ability to see in the Spirit, to discern spirits, to know whether a spirit is, is an evil spirit or it's the Holy Spirit. It's God that's doing these things. So it's interesting that the world takes advantage of man's lack of discernment. It takes advantage of these blind spots that not only do we have in our eyesight, but it takes advantage of the blind spots we have in our soul. And so I should probably deep dive on that a little bit more too, because we are fooled a lot. And, you know, Peter's the one who says, we're not unaware of the devil's schemes. So this whole fooling of mankind is something that continues to go on. Satan is out still taking advantage of people. Now, and of course, we always think, well, you know, I've never seen the devil. I've never seen him doing any of that. Well, I mean, it's not him himself. He's got a whole army of different levels of militaristic rank and file who are attacking mankind through this deception, through lies, through temptation, through ultimately, you ready for this, is through people, through people that this deception comes. And as a Christian, this is the first layer of really understanding spiritual warfare, is that you don't always see what you think you see. And if there is a blind spot in our physical eye, there most certainly is going to be blind spots in our spiritual eyesight. And that's why we need God. That is why we need the Holy Spirit in these gifts. We need to be able to fill in these gaps in our ability to discern. Is this God speaking to me? Is God speaking through that person? Or does my spirit tell me, no, they're lying. No, this is misdirection. No, I can see and feel and smell, if you will, that this is darkness. And unfortunately, I think today I see just as many Christians being influenced by this, or rather experiencing these blind spots as much as I see people in the world. Now, as I heard a pastor say once, he said, you know, I've said it before, is that you can't expect unbelievers to act like believers because they're lost, they're blind. But you can expect believers, Christians, to act like believers. And so there is, of course, a higher demand for don't believe those lies. Don't be misdirected. Don't be fooled. Don't let the slight of hand of this world rip you off. It's interesting when we think of magicians and what they do, well, it's entertaining, isn't it? And we're wowed. You know, I love doing that. I love watching magicians do their thing. So like on Facebook Watch or, you know, how that works when you watch something, then you get a whole string of them. And I love watching these magicians that come on certain shows and and just watching. But I also love to train myself to look to how they're doing it. You do the same thing. And maybe you don't. Maybe you just like, I don't want to spoil it. It's great. And I remember this one magic uh, act that was just really wowed me this first time that I saw it. And then I watched it again several times to just see, okay, how are they doing this? And it was this man that was doing this little dramatic piece. He had his pajamas on and he was waking up and he had an alarm clock on a bed. And when he went to sleep, they were now going to dramatize that he was going to have a nightmare. And so he laid down in the bed, he pulled the covers over his head and then out popped this woman. The man is gone. He, I mean, literally turned into a woman or so it seemed. And then all these different things are happening. People come rushing out of the side and the bed is spinning to show you that he is completely gone and so on and so forth. And then he he reappears out of the bed after all of these amazing things take place. He reappears in the bed and acts as if it was all a dream. And it was good. It was amazing. But as we began to look, I realized how he did it, that he disappeared into the bed. Now, the bed is super thin, but he was able to do it in such a way that she was in the bed already. And so they switched places. It's all about speed. The faster something is done, and that again plays into our lack of our ability to see things. And when you slow it down with the frame rate just being super high, you can 
see the bed bulge a little bit. You can see as the bed shifts. I mean, that's where she's coming from. That's where he's going. So sleight of hand, things happen so fast. I want to speak to that. Things in this world happen so fast that we're not keeping up with it. And they hope that we don't. They hope that that they can do these things in front of the world so quickly that we don't stop in enough time to say, well, why? Why did they do that? Why are they saying that? Folks, we're being played. We're being played in this world and the enemy is behind it. And, And it's so amazing that they know so much about human behavior. That's why they call it psychological operations in the military, because they know how they can fool us. They know how they can irritate us, how they can sedate us, how they can misdirect us and keep us from thinking if they're doing something or if someone is doing something bad over there to get us thinking about something good over there so that we miss it. Blind spots, distractions, illusions, all to keep us from seeing the truth. Now, Christian, this then brings us to what I started out in talking about, vision, being able to see. And that's what we really need to pray for, because the Bible talks about that. It talks about, as Peter said, that, you know, we've got to see the way he sees and asking God to help us see the way he sees. And so I think we really can. When we when we look at the scriptures and we begin to dig in, we see that there is a natural spiritual and soul blindness that we have. And we're asking God. And, And we need to ask God before we're done here is to help us see as he sees, to give us the discernment, to give us the ability to have the eyesight that is so incredibly important to our development, for our maturity, for our growth, for our health, for our freedom. Because see, where do we get this blindness as believers? How, How does this blindness come creeping back into our life? Well, fear causes blindness. Hate causes blindness. Blame shifting causes blindness. And greed is blindness. And these can also be conversely stated that blindness causes fear and blindness causes hate. And blame shifting or not taking responsibility comes from blindness and blindness causes greed. It's interesting to see this dynamic that takes place in our souls. And if we want to grow as believers, if we want to be mature, as Paul encourages us, we find in Colossians 3 really the answer. And I want to read that as we finish up today. And I want you to take some time to read in the rest of Colossians 3 and just read the whole chapter. But I'll read really just the beginning of this because Paul gives us wonderful, wonderful solutions to how we can grow, how we can fill in these blind spots so that we can see as we're called to see. He says, if you have been raised with Christ, seek things. This is Colossians 3. Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So he tells us, if you want to correct your eyesight, begin by looking up. That could be physically, you know, as far as our worship is concerned. But he's really talking about focus. He's saying, look, set your mind, set your eyes on things above, because that's where it begins. That will be the corrected lens that will allow you to see. Put on the new glasses of of spiritual reality. Verse 2, set your minds on things that are above, not on things of the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also appear with him in glory. He goes on and says, Now put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. And he says, The wrath of God is coming because of these things. He says, You used to walk in these things when you were living in them, but now you must put it all away, anger, wrath, 
wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. So he's telling us how to correct our vision, our ability. He says it starts with our behavior. He says, don't lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved and compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another, if one has a complaint against another, he says, forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you. He says, and above all these things, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. This is Colossians. He gives us a solution to say, we start by looking at Christ and then we begin to look at ourselves. Blindness comes when we ignore what is going on inside us as we mistreat people or give into those things that cause the blindness. If we want our eyesight to be clear, as Jesus said, hey, look, don't judge everybody else and try pointing out all the specks in other people's eyes. He said, start with the plank in your own. He says, because therein lies the blindness. There's a plank and we're pointing out the speck. And he's saying, you got a plank. Where does that plank come from? What, what is a plank? Well, he's saying it's big you know, piece of wood in comparison. You don't have a sliver. You got something that's that's completely covering over your ability to see. And he says, you can't see. He says, remove it. Take Colossians 3 and apply it. And then you're going to be able to see. Humility is the key, my friend. Humbling yourself under God's, God's mighty hand. And in essence, he's really the one removing the plank by grace, by mercy, by forgiveness, by healing. And, and then those blind spots are going to be removed. And they're not going to be judgmental. It's going to be replaced with discernment. It's going to be replaced with love. See, love is seeing perfectly. Did you hear what I just said? Loving people, no matter what their condition, is seeing perfectly. Why? Because that's how God sees the world. Because God loves mankind. He loves every single soul, even the worst, most evil one. And so seeing like God sees means I'm going to see him with compassion. I'm not going to see him with judgment. I'm going to pray for them, that God delivers them, that somehow, some way, they come out of that darkness and into the light. I'm not going to mock them. I'm going to rejoice with them. So my friend, let's ask God to give us eyesight. Let's ask God to give us a new discernment in these times. Sometimes it means we got to take cover. Sometimes it means we need to be active. Sometimes it means, Lord, that we need to just pray. And I'm praying for you that you're able to see and have vision that comes straight from the heart of God. God bless you. You have a great week. We'll see you the next time. Bye.